This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Oh, Father, we thank you today for Psalm 22, a beautiful psalm, a psalm that has changed history. So, Father, we pray as we come to you, uh, we pray, God, that you settle our hearts and our mind and our bodies um, from the fun that we had in our family day just now, as well as those of us who rush here today. Be with us as we open our minds and open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the greatest fear we have as humans is to be unloved. From the day we were born, we rush for love from our parents. As we grow up, we look for love in our neighbors, in our friends, in people, in the relatives. We, we, we long for love. To not have love for you and me, uh, it's a terrible feeling. But there's just one feeling that's worse than not being loved. It is to be abandoned by those you love. Now, I have two children. I love them very much. And um, it, it always melts my heart when they try to look at me to see whether daddy's around. Uh, just this week, I brought them to the market near my place. I put my kids at the table. I say, come on, eat your dinner. And then the stall that's just like a few meters away um, calls that my, my food is ready. I say, you guys sit here. I'll go and grab it. It's like just a few meters away. Immediately, my daughter just stood up and started looking because there are people around. And she wants to make sure that daddy does not disappear amongst the crowd. And it kind of melts my heart. And I, I took a mental note while I'm kind of the most important person at this point of life. But, but you get the picture. It is very frightening for a child to be abandoned by the one they trust most. You know, to be abandoned by the one you love or trust is one of the most painful and frightening human experiences. Um, if we are to make sense of what's happening around our world, we look at the countless number of love songs about heartbreaks, as we look at the rise of divorce, as we look at millions of children who are left in orphanage or on the street. I think it's not a stretch to say that there are many people who have felt great pain in life when it comes to abandonment. Perhaps some of us might even have experienced that in our life by people that you love or trust, but who have left in one way or another. Now this afternoon, as we step into our series of Psalms, we come to one of the most excruciating, um, agonizing psalm that's ever been written in the Bible, which speaks, which speaks of being abandoned. You know, it's written by King David about 1000 BC. It's set to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, which actually no one knew how it sounds. But I could imagine that it carries probably a haunting and melancholic overture. Now, King David, he is Israel's greatest king in the Middle East for Jews or Bible reading Christians. We kind of recognize him to be one of the most important kings uh, that has ever lived. David was a king who had um, known great victories and have known, known great sorrows. He's one who knew what is humble, he knew what is to be great. He's one who has been kind of a shepherd boy. He has also been the greatest king. 
Now, one of the reasons why Psalms is so well loved by many, um, the Psalms of David, is because David has experienced a wide range of emotions in his lifetime, and we can identify with some of them. Now, David, in his lifetime, he has been pursued by his enemies. He has been uh, suffering the pain of losing a newborn son. He has been betrayed by his beloved son that he has forgiven. And he has he's seen greatness when he was in the throne. But David has also um, drank tears in his bed. So this is the David we have. But the greatest thing about David that seals him and differentiates him from all the other kings is that God has said this word. He's a man after God's own heart. So David is someone who knows God and is known by God. David is someone who knows God and is known by God. And it's with such a backdrop of David that as we read with great surprise and confrontation today when we read Psalms 22. In fact, verse 1 reads this. Look at it with me. Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cried out by day. You do not answer by night. But I find no rest. You know, I, I pray that none of us will actually ever have to utter these words to someone that you love. Why have you abandoned me? Yet these are the words of King David in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the word my is a very intimate word. If you have a list of titles, you know, father, son, sister, brother, friend, God, it, it, it's actually just words. But the moment you put the word my in front, my father, my son, my sister, my brother, my friend, my God, suddenly there is an intimate relationship that appears. And so if you look at Psalm 22, it begins with David who is known by God and who knows God saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. So this sufferer in Psalm 22 is familiar with God who has now become silent. As he looks back to history, there are a lot about God that he knows. Look at it. Verse 3, he, he writes that God, God is a mighty king who sits on the throne of heaven. And verse 4, look at verse 4. He knows that God never abandoned those who put their trust in him. Let me read verse 4, 5 for us. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Yet the one suffering this some cries, But my God, my God, but why have you forsaken me? Here is the deepest level in a kind of excruciating cry in sense of a spiritual abandonment between a man and his God. The one that's all-powerful, who never abandons those who trust in him, the perfect God, he becomes totally silent when the sufferer desperately needs him. The sufferer, one who is after God's heart, who loves God and is loved by God, has been abandoned. 
by God. And this spiritual agony is just one of the three aspects of his complete agony. Look on with me to the emotional agony from verse 6 to 11. Let me read that for us as he continues his cry. But I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. They trust. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let God deliver him since he delights in him. So the agony that makes the silence of God even more unbearable is this emotional and mental torment that's inflicted upon him by those surrounding the sufferer. You know, imagine someone who's kind of digging her heels at your wounded and broken toe. If you can imagine that, you should be saying, ouch. But that's exactly what is happening here, but much worse. The people surrounding this sufferer mocked at how he has been totally abandoned, even abandoned by the God that he trusts. So scorned, you look at the passage, so despised, mocked, insulted, rejected, was this sufferer that he no longer feels human. He's not treated like a human, he doesn't feel like a human, he feels like a scorned worm. Now someone was writing this um, about getting into it being in deep agony. He or perhaps she says this. I, I've put it on screen. She says this. Sometimes when I say I'm okay, I want someone to look me in the eye, hug me tight and say, you know what, I know you're not. I don't know if anyone kind of can identify with that. When someone goes through suffering, we want to kind of reaffirm their value. We want to assure them that they're loved especially if it's a friend, a family, or even someone that you deem to be of some goodness there. But not here. Not in Psalm 22. The people surrounding the sufferer in Psalm 22 laughed and mocked at him for even trusting God. In fact, their cry, mockery is this, there is no rescue for you. Such is the emotional and mental agony and torment that the sufferer is facing. But yet in both this spiritual abandonment, the, the, the emotional or mental um, torment, the sufferer continues to recognize and trust that God is good. Listen to how he speaks, verse 9 to 11. Yet you, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you, from my mother's womb you have been my God. So again, the sufferer just cries out his trust to his silent God, calling upon God not to be far, even as trouble rushes on him. In fact, death himself is rushing in to swallow this sufferer very quickly. Now as the psalm zooms out, sometimes it does, if you look at it, the psalm now zooms out for us as we are listening to see that the sufferer is actually stuck in the middle of a death approaching physical torture. Look at the words. He's likened to be one who is surrounded by bulls, strong bulls from Bashan. Bashan is a place that's so fertile, the, the, the animals that feed there look like beasts. So you have the bulls from Bashan. His torturers are like lions showing their teeth as they salivate, waiting to feast on him. His bones are out of joint, his heart was melting, his tongue is so thirsty that his tongue sticks up to the roof 
of his mouth. I don't know if you have ever felt that, but if when you're really, really th- thirsty, that your tongue sticks just to your roof. And then he goes on, packs of dogs are surrounding him, already gorging at his hands, already gorging at his feet. Look at verse 16. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, they pierce my hands and my feet, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So as the, as the psalmist continues on this, we are told that the sufferer is being kind of stretched from hand to feet, pierced and put on display, his bones disjointed, he was kind of naked even before he was dead. Because the people stripped him and they were kind of gambling for his garments. In fact, some commentators, as they look at Psalm 22, they they, they describe that this is a physical torture. There's a slow and painful execution of a man by those who hates him. It's a it's it's a description of a physical execution. No, there's no reason, as you look on in this psalm, look for it. There's no reason for this sufferer to face any execution except for one thing, except for one reason. And it is in verse 8 that he put his trust in God. They said, he trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let God deliver him since he delights in him. So whatever the the tune of the door of the morning sounds like, it is a song of great agony. My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? No, Psalm 22 is a cry of one that is kind of spiritually, physically, emotionally abandoned. Physically, mentally, spiritually tortured. Waiting for a slow, painful death. And the reason, there's only one that is because he trusts in God. Now if you are following with me, by the time we reach verse verse 18... Something should be happening on my way. We're starting to think, actually, is there such an occasion where, where David is in? You kind of stretch your kind of mental mind if you're someone who, who knows a bit about David. And you try to find something and your mind is going to fail you. So you're going to flip your Bible up and read the history of David. You'll start to find what a situation. You find David hiding in caves from Saul, the king who wants him dead. We find David fleeing and acting like lunatics among his enemies, we find David fleeing from his own home as his son betrays him and storms in at him and his wives. We find David agonizing over many, many situations. In fact, we will read Psalms 51 in, in a, week, a few weeks' time where he pans down some of his pain. But as you look through the Bible and you're trying to dig it up, up to the point where David dies, you'll find that you cannot find an actual situation that actually fits Psalm 22. That David was in an actual point of being executed, a point where his garments were being gambled on, a time where he is uh, feast upon by his enemies literally, that his hands were being ducked on, his legs are being ducked out. We can't find it. So at the end of the day, when someone who's reading Psalm 22 ever since David's time, you have to think this is perhaps a poetic lament, a, a sad song as David describes his depression or 
emotional sufferings. Because if such an occasion occurs, it is too significant not to be in the Bible. In fact, as we read it, we may love this psalm because there may be occasion if this, if this psalm is being put into a modern tune, it might be a number one top hit because there are times where this psalm describes how we feel of being abandoned, of being scorned, insulted, rejected, feeling like a worm, feeling worthless, being challenged, physical pain. So at one level, this song can be a top chart. But on a second level, we find that we cannot fully identify with everything in it. As we read through the whole psalm, we will pick and choose, but we can never fully identify with it, and neither can David. In fact, it will be hard to perfectly fit this song into anyone's life from David until a thousand years later, where eventually this song becomes one of the most important passion songs in a Christian calendar. The passion song which is pointing to the crucifixion of Jesus. This song became one of the most important songs that we read and we talk about on the Passover week uh, before Jesus, the Passion Week before Jesus died. And so I want to bring us to look at how Psalm 22 actually becomes the song of Jesus who's hung on the cross. Because this is, this is kind of the backdrop as we think a little bit. A thousand years after King David, Jesus came on earth kind of as a star in the darkest night. Angels announced Jesus came to rescue God's people. Jesus is known as one who trusts God like no one else. And he knows God. God knows him. When he was baptized, the heaven opens and the voice says, This is my son whom I love. Jesus continues his journey. He loves people. And he heals people. But in all of uh, Jesus' ministry, the surrounding Jewish world does not accept him. And how does Psalm 22 becomes the song of Jesus on the cross. What I want to do now is I invite you to hold on, flip, and open up and hold on to Psalm 22 as I read to you the account of Jesus' death a thousand years later in the Gospel. So you don't have to look at Matthew that I'm looking at. It's on the screen. You can look at your Psalm 22. But let me read what happens on the day where Jesus died, Matthew 27, 35 onwards. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the laws, and the elders mocked him. He saved others. They said he can't save himself. He is the king of, the, of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. 43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For you say, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Matthew rounds up in verse 50 saying, when Jesus cried again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Such physical agony has been unheard of in David's time. Crucifixion hasn't existed. But here, hanging on a wooden plank, was Jesus with his hands and feet nailed to a plank of wood, stripped off his clothes, soldiers casting lots to see who wins them. Jesus was surrounded by the people who want him dead. In fact, if you have time to read the whole of Matthew 27, you'll read of more torments where twisted crowns of thorns forced on his head, on his skull, they spat on his face, they whack his head repeatedly. Matthew 27. And then there was this mental and emotional agony. All who passed by him on the cross hurled insults at him, that religious elites mocked at him, that people sneered at him. Well, Jesus, you're so capable. Look at how pathetic you are. And what is the crime that the religious elite had against Jesus and what him did? Well, was it murder, insurrection, rebellion against the Roman emperor, or some grotesque crime as the other criminals hanging next to him? It's not, isn't it? The crime they have against Jesus was his trust in God. Verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now if you want him for you say, I'm the son of God. But above, what do you have? We have physical, we have emotional agony. But above both of this was the final spiritual agony. Now Jesus knew long ago that he must die. He was willing. Jesus, in his three and a half years of ministry, has been mocked and scorned and hated. Well, at the cross it was magnified, but... He knew that it's not new, but there's one thing Jesus has not experienced, and it's here where he cried out. The agony Jesus had never experienced is the agony that one who fully trusts in God should never experience. Psalm 22 says this, To you they cried out and were saved, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. Those who put their trust in God are never forsaken. Those who put their trust in God are never put to shame before God. But on this fateful Friday, the one who perfectly puts his faith in God was abandoned. The one who perfectly trusts in God was put in utter shame. At three in the afternoon, Darkness was over the land, and Jesus cried out in a loud voice. So imprint was this cry that they didn't translate it. They just put in exact what Jesus says. Eli, Eli, lama sabatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're someone who has trusted in God as someone who has known Jesus, the question is, why and how can this happen? Why can Jesus ever experienced God forsaking him. And the reason is this, while God promised everyone who put their trust in him will not be forsaken, he said the very opposite thing to Jesus, who was the only one who was with the Father from beginning, who was the one who has never seen, who has always been obedient, who has always pleased him perfectly, the only one who can perfectly say is a man after God's own heart. 
God said a direct opposite thing to Jesus. He says, if you were to trust and obey me, I will forsake you in your humanity. When did God say that? Let me give you just a few of all the words of Jesus, of God. For God said to humanity this, trust in me, I'll never forsake you. God said to Jesus in his humanity, trust in me and I will forsake you. Isaiah 50, 53, 5 and 10. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for iniquities. It was the Lord's will to crush him, cause him to suffer. First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a cursed for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the cross. So when Jesus obeys and trusts in God, when Jesus in his humanity is willing to put on himself all the sins of the world, all the guilt and evil that has happened by you and me, all, all the hatred against rebellion against God, all our strife against each other and our wrong treatment of God's creation, as we have all this and Jesus puts on himself murder, rape, hatred, unfilial, abandonment of others. Jesus experienced what the world are supposed to experience but cannot afford. In fact, this is what God said, uh, what was written about God in Habakkuk 1 verse 13. Let me read this to you. He says this, that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil and he cannot tolerate wrongdoings. So when Jesus is willing to obey and put that on himself, God's response to him is, if you trust me and do that, I will turn away from you. Let's look at the details of Psalm 22. Jesus' death on the cross was totally impossible to ignore because it's almost describing the actual sin of Jesus even though it's written a thousand years before as Jesus cried out the words of Psalm 22 on the cross we are meant to recognize that he is bearing the spiritual the mental the physical agony that we are meant to experience now, dear friends, King David, when he pans down Psalm 22, I think this is the reality. He wasn't panning it for himself. He was panning it for you and for me. The Apostle Peter writes this about some of the prophets, including David. He says this, 1 Peter 1, 10-12, I put it up there. He says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you Search intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. As David, the man after God's own heart, describes the inner voice of the sufferer, we start to see Jesus, the sinless one, going through what the Messiah has to go through. That we actually identify that He is the one 
because David has already written about the one a thousand years before he appears. Because the price of our sin must be paid, or God cannot be called a good God. And the price is paid, paid in full on the cross. Some people may say this, or I've heard it a couple of times, that you know, you Christians have this thing called cheap grace, say the magic word, and you're forgiven of your sins. But as we look at the cross, as we look at Psalm 22, what we should gather is, it's not a cheap grace at all. It is such a costly grace that Psalm 22, as we look at Jesus, we should never forget what Jesus goes through. That our sins can be forgiven. The one that should never have heard God say this calls out on the cross, My God, my God. That's the only time Jesus calls His Father God, isn't it? On the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was meant for us to hear it. So if you are Christians today, I think this is my prayer and our prayer that as we pray and sing Psalm 22, we can be assured that when we trust in God and turn to Jesus, we will never be abandoned by Him in life or in death. We will not cross the door of death alone anymore because He has crossed that total abandonment in His humanity and He now stands there ready for us and all who belong to Him. But for those of us who we have been coming to church, but we are kind of thinking about Christianity or to be even firm up in, in Christ. My prayer is this, and please, that we will know Jesus more. That if we ever ask this question, God, where are you when I need you? Jesus replies, I was there because of you. God was never a God from a distance. Because when He asked, when we ask, God, where are you? When suffering comes, Jesus says, there I was. So that you do not have to face this suffering. Now Psalms 22 did not end with just the agony of the sufferer. Indeed, the Spirit of Christ in David didn't just point to his suffering, but points to his glory. And so, if you look on to Psalm 22, Verse 22 onwards, suddenly there is a change from that agony to an unrestrained praise. That there is this praise for God by the sufferer, by those who fear God, and by the rest of the world. So these are kind of three layers from verse 22 to 31 of praises to God. Look at Psalm 22, verse 22. The sufferer says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. Jesus says this in Hebrews 12, 12, uh, 2, 12. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. These are my people. In the assembly, I will sing your praise. Jesus himself praises God to his people. And listen to this. Who would have imagined when they read Psalm 22, when it comes to this turning point where God actually listens and rescue his his suffering servant or the one that's suffering is this as God rescue you I expect God will rescue him out of spiritual abandonment from mental agony or from physical pain 
that would be how you have read Psalm 22. But when Jesus has gone through the cross, we start to relook at Psalm 22 and says that the rescue that God has done is not to remove him from spiritual, physical, emotional agony, but to let him experience the full blow of it until he dies. And then he rescues him from death to life. This is crucially important as a Christian because back in David's time, what happens? The people wants God to save the king because when God rescues the king, the people are also being rescued. But now as we come to how God rescues Jesus, not by getting him out of the cross, but letting him die and raise to life, those who become Christians now, we can trust if God raised King Jesus from the dead, so he, he rescued him, not from the cross, but from death, then it means that those who belong to Jesus, those who are in the kingdom, will be rescued, not so much from this pain here and there, but from the ultimate death. Because God who has brought Jesus from death to life, will bring us from death to life. And that is the praise that Jesus the King declares to those who fear God and ask the rest of the world to also praise God. So if you are a Christian, I pray Psalm 22 gives us the assurance that whether in life or death, that God never abandons us. Because even at death, God will lift us up after that. And for those of us who we are just kind of continue to kind of engage and thinking about Jesus, then this is a glimpse of what God is offering to us when David has written Psalm 22 and Jesus lifted up. So from Jesus to God's people and find the whole nation's praises will be given to God. Look at the last few verses and say, look at it with us, 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. There will be a gathering of great nations, all the nations turning to God because of Jesus and praising God because Jesus died and rose to life. 26, look at it. The poor and those who seek God will find and praise Him. 29 to 31, all who are blessed will feast and worship God. In fact, all who are dead, who cannot keep themselves alive, will rise and kneel before God. And that is even not sufficient. David prophesied future generations will be told of God and what He has done through Jesus. And this has been happening since the resurrection of Jesus, isn't it? From Jesus' time up to now, those who have not heard, hears it. Those who are unborn, when they are born, they will be told of it. And it will carry on even after we die, unless Christ comes before that happens. As we conclude, dear friends, As we kind of journey on this beautiful Psalm 22, this emotional, this spiritual, this physical agony, there is something that is beautiful if you are part of the cohort who can sing this song. is that you can sing all the other verses, but there's one verse you and I would never need to sing. And that's verse 1. There's one suffering in Psalm 22, he begins with this cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
How does he end the psalm? Look at verse 31. He ends off saying, Praises he has done it. God has completed what he has done. If that's the song of the sufferer, is it no surprise when he comes to Jesus on the cross that he begins with crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John records for us that very last words of Jesus we shall read for us from John 19.29-30. Later, knowing that everything has been finished and so that scripture should be will be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head, gave off his spirit. David wrote, verse 31, He has done it. Jesus echoed on the cross, It is finished. God has done it. His plan of salvation is complete. There's nothing else that needs to be done to offer that salvation to you and to me and to those who will come to Jesus. God has done it. And so the offer is given to us that we can grab hold of. That those of us who grab hold of this, that we can look at Psalm 21 and know that verse 1 has been sung and we will not have to sing it. So let me close this time uh, giving thanks to God for Psalm 22 and also to pray and thank our Lord Jesus Christ for singing it on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, our Lord cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so, Father, we do not have to say that ourselves. Whether spiritual, the emotional, the physical agony that we may know in our lifetime, we know that Christ has experienced even more for us. That is not mere words when Jesus tells us that He is with us to the end of time as we journey on, as we cry out to You in times of difficulties that we can find comfort that Jesus never left and You never leave us. So Father, we pray and ask for forgiveness for all our sins. We want to repent before You and ask that God, You give us what Jesus has done for us, that He takes us and our sin and we take Him and to be called children of Yours. So grant us forgiveness and grant us a relationship in Christ. For this we glorify you as Jesus has glorified and has asked those who fear you and as with the rest of all nations because you deserve all glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg